Welcome to Comforting the Chaos. I'm one of your hosts, Paola Furman. And I'm Jackie Palm. Thank you for tuning in today. If it's your first time joining us, we're happy you're here. If it's your second time joining us, we're glad you're back. Yes, thanks for listening. So, Paola, how are you today before we get started? I'm okay. Still working on my mental health one day at a time. How are you, Jackie? I am okay today. I would say earlier in this week, I on my personal Facebook page, I posted a status asking if I'm the only one that would like to sometimes find a remote field and like scream my frustrations into the void. The answer to that is no. <laughs> I will be right there with you. Right. So because, you know, like the holidays are stressful in a lot of different ways for a lot of different people. We're headed into that. And so that's kind of where I'm at mentally at the moment. But I'm okay. I just want to scream a little bit in a field. <laughs> I feel like we all have a little bit of that here and there. <laughs> so today we wanted to talk about the book What Happened to You by Dr. Bruce Perry and Oprah Winfrey. It is a really good book. I listened to it on Audible first and then I loved it so much that I bought a hard copy and then I think I told you about it. <laughs> yeah. And was did. like, you need to listen to this. And I did, even though I had to pause a couple of times because some of the work in the book is a little intense, I will say. Yeah. Especially me being an empathetic person. Mm-hmm. It's a, lot, a whole lot of crying and pausing, but um, it's a great book. I definitely recommend I love it because it gives such a broad scope. Like we talked about in the last episode, we were saying about how like the definition of trauma is so much bigger than what I think like the general public feels like it is. And so this book does a great job at talking about that from like multiple perspectives and then like what to do with it, not just like tell it, like educating you about it. But, like, also, like, what are the next steps after that? Once you realize and recognize what are the traumatic moments that you've had in your own life and that they are, in fact, traumatic. (laughs) Yeah, which I think it has to do a lot with the validating part that we talked about before. Um, Because it kind of tells you, like, hey, this happened because, you know, in your childhood or some where down the line of Mm -hmm. your life you went through this traumatic experience and now you're where you are because it's related to that exactly and so it kind of like gives you more detail and it's like educational when it comes to trauma and 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 that's important because a lot of us don't get that you know out in the world especially nowadays right or before right and i think it is great because It's good for people who are just learning about it because it gives such relatable definitions and like relatable stories and things like that. And then it's also still good for people who have learned about it. And then it just gives it brings a different light to it, which I think is really, really helpful. And it, it covers all the bases, which I really like about it. So it's always like a book that I personally recommend for people especially when they're just starting out on their journey of like healing. But also if you're already in it, I still feel like it's a great resource and reminder. 
I agree. I like all the different examples that they give you of trauma as well. Yes. Um. So everyone knows, like, hey, it's not just this. It's also that. And, you know, a lot of us can find it, like, relatable. Right. For sure. So we wanted to go over, like, what some of, like, the key points in the book were. We're, we're not going to do, like, a, a book review in the capacity that, like, we're going to tell you every possible thing that happened in the book because we would really recommend that you read it yourself because it is a really great resource but we do feel so strongly about it that we feel that we want to go through some of the key points and discuss some of those things just as they they relate to us and what they brought up in us what what we learned from reading some of that stuff especially you know we're at two different spots in our journey (laughs) at the moment so I feel like we both have like different takeaways from depending on where we're at to what we were learning in the book too for sure I agree we definitely are in two different places when it comes to our journey and it is we kind of compare our notes in a way or our take on the book yeah um some things are very the same and some are not but then we come to like an understanding of why we understood it, like understood the book in a different way. Right. Like we're both going through things. And even those, though those things are different, like the underlying theme is kind of like pain in some capacity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that is that's the relatable point. And then that's the it's it's nice to have a person like a support person that you can say, hey, this is what I'm feeling about this right now, even if they have a different journey than you, like that's part of like empathy, right? Is like being able to talk about that, have somebody sit with you in it and recognize how you can relate, but then also like how it's different. And I feel like it gives you more respect for other people's journeys in general because it makes you think about the whole picture versus just the snippets that you see kind of makes sense completely agree with that so one of the first things that they talk about in the book is kind of how your brain is structured in processing events that happen in your life and you know it goes through all of like the neuroscience stuff which like I'm not going to get into I feel like in another life I could have really gone hard into neuroscience and like really been interested in that because I find it absolutely fascinating how much control (laughs) your brain has over your thoughts and like what it does and everything but basically your brain is always trying to make sense of what is happening like what's going on around you and my analogy I always have lots of analogies that's like the therapist in me (laughs) I feel like (laughs) So when it comes to your brain trying to figure out the world, I always envision it as a warehouse full of filing cabinets. Like that's how I envision my own brain. And basically everything that happens to you in your life, trauma or not, right, like is categorized into uh, some filing cabinet. So like all of your Thanksgiving dinners are in a filing cabinet and (laughs) You know, your Christmas mornings are in a filing cabinet and your first days of school are in a filing cabinet. And they all kind of because your brain wants to categorize things. So like that always makes the most sense to me. So 
when I think about traumatic events that happen, they're more like floofy terms for it or whatever. <laughs> but I, when I think of it, I think of like trauma is an event that happens. It like flies into the warehouse and it doesn't fit in any of the filing cabinets. And so it doesn't have anywhere to go. So there's like a back room in the warehouse and it's like way back in the far dark corner sometimes. And that's where like the trauma goes. It's so kind of it, like the drawer that everybody has where we put like all the yeah, junk. Like a junk drawer. Way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. So you have like a, a junk closet of full of traumatic things that like don't make sense so a lot of times I say like when when people aren't really ready to like recognize the things that have happened in their lives that are difficult that that back room gets about a hundred locks on it and chains and Mm. everything else on top of it so that none of that stuff comes spilling out but the thing is is that your brain wants to categorize it so you're going up against what your brain is like designed to do basically. So after a while, no matter how many locks and chains you have on this back door, some little something's going to slip out at some point. And I kind of relate that to like when we have reactions to people that we don't necessarily expect and then we don't know where it comes from. So like if you get really angry for some reason and you're like, wait a second, (laughs) Like, why am I, like, so amped up right now? Or, like, why did I get so amped up right now? And it's one thing if you get curious about it and pay attention to it and say, well, hey, wait a second, like, I'm going to dig into this. And it's another thing to be like, why don't you get back in that? Like, I don't want to spend time with this right now. Why don't you go back in that closet and I'm going to put more locks on it and I'm going to, like, caulk around it this time to, like, make sure that it's not going to come out and that's kind of my like definition (laughs) of of that and I and it's kind of like a a basic way to look at what trauma does to your brain but I also think it's like a very relatable way to look at it for sure because like I said it's like you know sometimes we have like that junk drawer and then like you put stuff in there that you use but like you don't feel like, oh, I'm not going to need it. I'll need it one day. Like, yeah. you know, like I'll get back to it one day. You right. put it there. And then like, you know, eventually your drawer can't close anymore or it just keeps opening like mine right now. <laughs> um, so like, you know, I mean, it's definitely relatable. It's definitely how I kind of picture it for me, for me, the way I store my trauma. Yeah. And I think you made a really great point, too, because with saying that like you put the things in there that you think that you'll need later there is so much that happens to us when we're growing up that we learn like these coping skills that were helpful for us in while we were like in survival mode and like in the thick of it and we don't actually need them as we grow and heal and I almost like to say like I like to look at a way to like repurpose it like you would you know see a dingy dresser along the side of the road and you look at it and you say, I could, you know, put some paint on that and some new hardware, like sand it down, make it all pretty and usable again. Like there are things in our lives that have happened and like tools that we've developed that like 
you can kind of flip them and figure out how to use them them differently. But until you get curious about it, they're going to sit back there or they're going to float out or eventually that door, something's going to happen in life that like is more serious than maybe something you've dealt with before or haven't dealt with since like something traumatic happened. And that door is going to come bursting open and everything is going to flood out versus like taking things out systematically. Do you feel like the the bursting of the door happens every so often or is just that one time where like it just bursts open? Because I feel like I have little moments where... I guess I don't deal with stuff like mm-hmm. I should and I store it in that room and then it just opens up and then I deal with that and then eventually so, like I start doing it again it's like a like a like repetitive a, cycle yeah um where they just keeps bursting out and never so often or maybe there's different sections of my trauma that just yeah. keep like bursting out like there's different rooms for different situations for sure um kind of thing which that's how I feel yeah no I think like I don't think it's necessarily one big thing all the time for everyone I think that there are times where it can make itself appear but then it depends on what you do with it so like if you keep like every time that door bursts open a little bit and you're like no 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 and you're like you know running around trying to get everything put back in in no particular order, and you're but you're just trying to put it away, then yeah, it's gonna keep on busting open again and again, and then maybe over smaller things versus just the bigger things because you're not really dealing with it. You know what I mean? Yeah, like you're not giving it the space that it actually like it should have its own filing cabinet of to say these are hard things that happened to me here's what I'm going to do with them. But they're not going to control who I am and how I act for forever. Completely makes sense. Do you think that, like, for yourself, like, do you see yourself interpreting other people's, like, actions and reactions, like, from your own personal experience a lot of the time? Not a lot of the time, but just sometimes. I, I, I'm... I will say that I that wasn't me before. Yeah. I say that now that I'm more in touch with my emotions yeah. a little bit. Yes. I, I do do that because I try to be more understanding mm-hmm. of why certain actions could happen or happen. Same thing with, like, my parents. Yeah. You know, whatever happened with when I was a child that, that could have hurt me mentally mm-hmm. or that did hurt me mentally... I feel like uh, I try to understand where they're coming from and Mm -hmm. how they went through their own trauma. So that's like where that starts in a way. Yeah. Trying to understand that, you know, sometimes they did the best they could. Right. And they didn't know how to deal with their trauma. Mm -hmm. Like it's, uh, I I shared an infographic in our um, not an infographic, but like a picture in our Facebook group that coincides with this this morning about how figuring out the reason for someone's 
behavior is like the starting point, like for, to figure out like the reason behind their behavior, their actions, like why they are the way that they are. Like that's the starting point, but it's not an excuse to be treated poorly for them to like not work on themselves. Like it's just a place of understanding. It's not a place of acceptance, I think. And so like, I feel like when we're first starting well, not, not even when we're first starting, but I would say before we even start to heal, I feel like a lot of the times we'll look at people through like the same lens if they match certain parts of people from our past. Like I know for me, I in general have a really hard time with father figures for myself. I don't have like I did not have a good relationship with my dad um and I'm probably gonna get a little emotional because today is actually the the fifth anniversary of him passing away um but I didn't have a good relationship with him and I for a long time either was looking to fill that void with someone else in in some capacity or I didn't trust anybody really that was a man like any kind of like male figure in my life like I I just don't I don't have I to be perfectly honest I don't have the same respect level for men in my life as I do for women so for me looking through that lens at other people I think made relationships really hard for me it made it hard for me to be a therapist to people that reminded me of my dad in any capacity whether it was you know mental illness being manipulative gaslighting kind of coming off as that like narcissist or whatever I always felt very triggered and I didn't feel like I could be very therapeutic to those people And I hated that because I wanted to be understanding, but I wasn't healed enough to like really to, to understand or like help or like not be so triggered by like, you know, hearing how awful their kids are when I'm thinking to myself, like, are they really that bad? Cause you're (laughs) like, you're not being very nice. Like you're not nice to anybody. Like, you know what I mean? And just kind of like having that, like that projection of, of, of men and, and that being my, my experience with, you know, the man that was supposed to be like my role model in my life. I feel like for a, a, a long time and still sometimes I think with some people, I still am like, Ugh. that reminds me of something that makes me really uncomfortable even though like that person is not my dad, the situation is not the same, but if it reminds me of it, it's hard for me. That's interesting. For me, it's weird because for me, it's a little bit different and it could be because you grew up with your dad and I really didn't grow up with mine like yeah. that or um, so close to him. For me, when I see other dads being the sweet, fathers then I look for it's almost like I want to pretend that's what I got or you know yeah I don't know how to explain it but whenever I have 
someone who comes into my and I did the same with my mom as well. Yeah. From not having my mom around. Yeah. I remember when I was younger, someone came over to the church that I was attending at the time and she looked like my mother. Mm. And I just I was like, This lady looks just like my mom. She acts like my mom. She has to act like my mom. And um because I didn't have my mom around, I looked for that motherly thing in that lady. Yes. So I remember when she had to leave, I cried so much because I thought it was my mom. Like, I completely in my head made her, like, my mother. Yeah. So for me, it's more like I didn't know what I was, I wouldn't say missing. Yeah. Because having him around wouldn't probably be the, I'm not sure, actually. Yeah. It's hard to to know. <laughs> yeah. So I, I wouldn't say like I, I, I get the, like the sadness or relatable parts that I have. I don't even know how to explain it. Yeah, I, I think it's really hard. And I think especially because that has been something more that like you have only I feel like you've been thinking about it for a while but Mm -hmm. it's something that you've been like letting yourself go a little bit deeper into lately that it would be hard to have the exact words for it and even for me who has been you know delving deep into it for a little bit longer it's so complicated (laughs) that it's hard to to put words to you know how you really feel about it And there are times, I think, for me where, you know, um, it's hard for me to admit that I am even sad about my dad, like, not being here anymore. But at the same time, I have started more so to recognize that I don't really miss him because, unfortunately, he was very sick and not open to help he suffered from you know some some pretty serious mental health issues and prescription painkiller addiction on top of that and and I think both of those things like exacerbated each other and didn't really give him a chance to be better and he also didn't have the self-awareness to like take steps to do anything different. And so like I have very complicated feelings about that. And um my hope my current plan with like my my own therapist is to like work on EMDR with some of that those issues in order to make it make sense kind of <laughs> and like give give it the proper space that it it needs so that it does, you know, have a place in the warehouse. So what's interesting to me is that in a way we have two different experiences. You had your dad around, which wasn't so much of a good thing, but he was around. Right. I didn't have my dad. Like, yes, he was around, but we weren't close. We, I, you know, I, most of my life I lived without him around. Right. So I don't, really know what having a father figure completely it's like right but at the same time we both just have this 
thought of what a father should be like. Yes. And we both want that. Yes. Like this, like, idealized. Like a healthy. Yeah. Healthy. Parent. Yeah. Behavior. And um, so even though, like, I don't know much what it's like, but you do. I know what it's we like still didn't have, to have him present. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, like, we still didn't have that. We right. didn't have a healthy father figure, you know, for most of our lives to to show us, you know, like, to feel loved or cared for, like, you know, what we think or what we think a father should behave like. Well, because, like, I, I know people, I know other people that have lost their dads mm-hmm. and they'll post things on special days like on social media or whatever to Mm -hmm. be like oh I miss my dad so much like and they'll like post a picture of like a silly goofy picture of them together and uh, I miss this relationship like you were such a great dad and I get angry (laughs) see that's when because we have sent each other videos and at one point you get angry and right. I'm like, I'm so happy for them. Exactly. And like I, they have that. Yes. And so that right there is like the perfect example of how two people can go through similar things and have different reactions to it. My reaction a lot of the time with stuff in relation to my dad is just pure anger. I get angry at people that remind me of him. I get angry when I see other people having a nice time because I feel, because I feel bad for myself that I didn't get that on top of like not being able to have like good memories to like look back on. So like you have this like empty hole of grief to be like, all right, well, you know, like the cliche thing for people to say is, oh, well, like think about the good times. And I kid you not, And I feel like people have a hard time digesting it. But, like, I don't have good memories with my dad. Like, yeah, sure. Like, there were times that, like, he was funny or, you know, like, something funny happened or, like, we watched a movie together or something. But, like, my dad was so quick to, like, flip. Like, it was like flipping a switch and you never knew when the the switch was going to flip. That, like, a good day could go to a bad day. And then back to a good day, like... It was very up and down. Right. Like, I should have no surprise as to why, like, I have a hard time with, like, emotional regulation because I did not see that happen ever for, like, as long as I can remember. Yeah. And, like, that's the thing, like, with the book. Yes. I feel like, you know, the way they explain it to you, how it starts from the beginning. Yes. Um, It kind of shows, like, you know... Why do you get angry? You get angry because a lot of the times that's what you were you experienced with your father. Right. Anger. So for you, that's what triggers. Yeah. For me, it was always the longing of having a father. Right. So when I see other people having a dad, then I'm like, that's what I wanted to feel like. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, that's beautiful um, kind of situation. So I understand where the self-regulation part comes into hand yeah. when it comes to trauma. Yes. Which is what we're learning. Yes. Slowly. Yes. <laughs> to all of that. But <laughs> I, I think it is a great point 
that that stuff has so much influence over how, I mean, that's, that's one example of, I'm sure many that we could probably give of how our experiences with other people have changed our perception. Experiences with people in our lives has changed our perception of other people and their experiences. So when you can get to the point of like, I'm going to understand where this came from fully Mm -hmm. and recognize that like you can see where things come from. And, you know, I'm sure my dad didn't have a good childhood. I'm sure that that's what led to him being the way that he was. And it wasn't a reason for him to continue the path because he could have broken the cycle and so now instead it's me breaking <laughs> breaking cycles instead I wish that I would have had you know the opportunity that my kids have to like not have to have to grow up on edge all the time and so I recognize that in myself but I definitely still have some anger towards it and some like projection with anger towards other father figures whether they're like directly with me or or not I need to figure out (laughs) how to (laughs) how to deal with that but and then that also goes into like one of the next like key points in the book too is that how we have or have not been loved influences our behaviors and our reactions to other people in our lives. It starts at the very beginning, in utero, <laughs> basically. And the book talks about it. So, like, um, for you, like, when do you find yourself being, like, hypervigilant, you know, when it comes to, like, thinking about, like, the relation with your past and things yeah. now? So hypervigilance is probably one of my, that's why I'm such an anxious person. Because like I said, like the, that switch would flip and like how it talks about in like the first part of the book, like your brain wants to categorize things all the time. So like, you know, you know that like the sun's going to come up in the morning when you like look outside and like it starts to lighten up and you start to see the colors and you hear the birds chirping and, you know, maybe you smell the dew outside or whatever. Like those are all like the sensory things that kind of like let you know that the sun's about to rise. Growing up with a very dysregulated person, there are no, there are no like sensory things to like let you know what's going to happen. So like you pay attention to everything Instead of going about your day, because if you looked the wrong way or if his eye twitched a little, you were like, ah, wait, like what's going to happen? Like what? And and because you never knew when it was going to happen, that's what made me so hypervigilant. So like even as a 34 year old adult, like my like I can't even my husband. My husband's like a ninja when he walks through our house. Like, I cannot hear him ever. And if he, like, walks into... I can know that he's home. 
I can know that he is in the other room, right? Like he'll, and we have a window in our kitchen above the sink that like I could see him, you know, after the kids go to bed, like playing video games. And if I'm like doing dishes or like getting a snack or something in the kitchen, right? If he gets up and I did not pay attention and comes up behind me and I did not hear him, I will jump. And he thinks it's hilarious, which I mean, it is, but like, <laughs> not but, a moment for you. but it also comes from this place of like, hold mm-hmm. up. Like I wasn't watching you. I didn't know what was going on. And like, it scares me. And I literally like, I will jump. Sometimes I will yell <laughs> and we laugh about it. But my nervous system is trained to be like, you got to keep your eyes on people. You got to watch what's happening. You got to, you know, predict their next move and like be as in control of the situation as you can to like protect yourself it's like a survival instinct and it drives me nuts and you know but it it goes to show you that like that when I am feeling I don't even I don't well you know what I don't even know if I have to be like feeling necessarily like extremely anxious that just happens and I'm trained like that is that you, is a response. <laughs> you just said like the the one word I thought of when you said that. Yeah. I think it also has to do a lot with the control. Yes. Which we talk about a lot. Yes. So for us, because of being in fear or, you know, like anxious situations as children, um, we like to be in control of a lot of the situations that we're in. Absolutely. So for us, not knowing that they're there. It's part of us not having control of our surroundings. Right. And not that, you know, we think things are dangerous, but it's just, it's part of our trauma right. as children. We we definitely know we are working on that control part. <laughs> um, but I, the same thing happens to me. Even like, even though I call someone sometimes, but like, hey, come here. And I know they're coming, but because, like, a little time goes by that is not what in my head I thought it was going to take them to yeah. get to me, like, I would get spooked out for, like, no reason. <laughs> um, but but I definitely understand where you're coming from Yeah. when it comes to that. And I, I think that that example, like, I mean, all of these topics that we're going over, like, they go into, like, much more in depth in the book but like it goes to show you that like when your interactions with other people sometimes are not really about you like my husband didn't scare me like he didn't like come in I mean he's done it before (laughs) he's he likes to prank me sometimes but his intention in coming into the kitchen to like get a drink of water is not to spook me or scare me or whatever but my body still has that response to it so like I feel like when we are interacting with other people that's why we have to be kind of aware and like not necessarily like take it personally because like if he got upset to be like I wasn't trying to scare you I like it has almost zero to do with you like yes you have like quiet little ninja feet but like (laughs) it it has really not much to do with you and more to do with the fact that like my body has been trained to be vigilant and so because I didn't hear it 
I'm going to naturally have this. It has, I'm not going to say naturally, but it has become a natural response mm. for me to get scared by little things like that. <laughs> that makes sense. And then that's exactly why, like, we talk about also, like, feeling anxious and things like that. Mm -hmm. Like, I know, like, a lot of the things as a child that, you know, affected me. Yes. Like, how they lead to me feeling anxious now. I don't know exactly how to relate the spookiness part for me. Um, but I know, like, for me, a lot has to do with now my children. Yeah. With how I bring them up. Yeah. So, like, a lot of the times, I'm like, I just want to make sure they don't feel alone. I want to make sure that, you know, and maybe I, like, hover too much, which is how my childhood affected me. Because I sometimes didn't have, most times, didn't have anyone, like, a father or, you know, my mom wasn't around. So I didn't have that parent to go to. Right. So for my kids, now I'm like, do you need this? Oh, let me see that. Are you feeling okay? It's a <laughs> lot of hovering. And, and, and I realized, and like the more we go and time goes by, like I'm realized that I definitely, that's something that I got to work on. For sure. I, I totally do the same thing. And we, I, it's like a running joke in our house that like mommy's always ready to like talk about your feelings. <laughs> and even like the other day, as the kids were getting ready to go to school, my youngest had like pulled out a paper that they had done in guidance. And it was like something about like talking about emotions or whatever. And I was like, ah, oh. I was like, guys, like what if like each night or like once a week we like sat around and like really like talked about our feelings. And, you know, like Grace and he was like, yes, mommy, yes. Like, let's let's sit around and talk. And like, meanwhile, Mike and Griffin are like looking at me like. Um, and Griffin's like, I gotta go to school. Like, mm -hmm. I'm not, I don't want to do that. And Mike's like, ah, and me and, you know, me and him are like, yes, let's talk about our feelings all the time. Mm -hmm. And, but like, I feel like I definitely overcompensate with them now to be like, I, you know, I'm gonna, like, I want to listen to your every feeling. I'm going to validate your every emotion. I'm going to whatever, I, which I don't really, like, it's not a bad thing necessarily, but I do need to let them experience things sometimes mm -hmm. without me being like, okay, well, how did that make you feel? And how did you do that? Because I'm not their therapist. I'm their mom. <laughs> yep. Let me hold your hand. <laughs> and like the older they get, they're like, no, like right. you need to let my hand go a little bit. And right. you're like, I'm scared. <laughs> um, I, I've noticed that a lot, especially with my, uh, my middle one, since, you know, with the cerebral palsy, I, yes. um, he has mild cerebral palsy and I feel like I'm extra overprotective. <laughs> I noticed lately he's more of like, Hey mom, I need some time without <laughs> you around. <laughs> um, and sometimes he just, you know, wants me to always hold his hand. And I realize that sometimes he needs to also do the work on his own. Yeah. So definitely see how a lot of that childhood stuff affected this. Which I feel like some of that is hard parenting in general, right? Like your kids growing up and like not needing you in the same capacity. I think there's like an extra layer there, though. Like when you are healing your own stuff to be like, I need to like 
bubble wrap you from the world and make sure Mm -hmm. that nobody hurts you because I don't want you to have to like spend as much money as I did on therapy. (laughs) No, not not even the money, like just the pain. Yeah. Yeah, Like, which is what you mean. Um, like we don't want them to feel that pain or sadness, you know, or have to try to figure things out, which they will have their own issues. We talk about that all the time, but you know, it's just because of how we were loved as a child. Exactly. That affects of how we are now with our children. Yes. Because for me, it's not that I didn't feel loved. I just didn't feel loved completely as a child. Right. I felt like there was a lot of stuff missing, a lot of love missing. Yeah. Um. So now I overcompensate with my children. Yes. And, like, I, I always worry that people... When because I've been I've been posting about my journey on social media for a really long time, and I always get concerned that when people see me say negative things about my parents, that they're gonna be like, "But like they loved you and like whatever." Mm -hmm. And I and I have had people say that or like, and I know that that comes from like a good place. That's not really my point. Like I know that my parents loved me in the capacity that they could, but it wasn't enough, and. I think that those two things can coexist. So, like, I can talk about my dad and I can talk about my mom and recognize their faults. But I don't know. Like I said earlier, I have a little bit more difficulty with my dad than I do with my mom just because that's some unhealed stuff that I haven't quite gotten really deep into yet. But I loved my mom so much. And so I... But I still can recognize that, like, she didn't always do – she was doing the best that she could, but it wasn't enough for me. And so, like, I know that they loved me, and I also still have to heal from what they didn't heal in themselves that kind of trickled down from me. And that's, like, I think that's one of the things that, like – I try to do with my kids all the time and like model for them is to be like, I made a mistake. I'm, I apologize for yelling. I'm really tired. Today was stressful. That still doesn't make it okay for me to yell. How did that make you feel? Yeah. Like that sort of thing, because I, I didn't have people validating like my emotions and needs because they were very preoccupied with the very toxic moments that were happening with themselves so like because another thing is which you know with what you just said about people feeling like your parents with the way you express yourself maybe they didn't love you it's also too that you also love them yes and I think that a lot of people think that when you post something what they see as negative yeah they also think but like I know that they were I don't want to necessarily say bad. Right. Um, I know they weren't perfect, but right. you should still love them. They're your parents, which we do. Like, I love my parents. Uh, yeah. I just... As do I. <laughs> I. I'm going through life trying to understand, you know, where they necessarily didn't do the best. Yeah. But where I can fix that for my children. And for yourself. Um, and too. exactly. Yeah. And for myself. So... You know, I can go on with life normally, but like, that's what I'm trying to 
to explain. Like, you still love your parents, even if you point out the mistakes or the, the where things weren't so right. Exactly. And and I think that it it's sometimes harder for other people to understand when they aren't in touch with their own stuff. And so, like, I feel, sometimes I feel like 80% of our interactions with people sometimes are, like, projection of other people's own feelings versus, like, what's their own feelings based upon their own experience versus thinking about it from somebody else's perspective. Like, I, yeah, like, I totally love my parents and I still feel like I need to talk about the things that didn't work well and have me in the position that I'm in now. But I will say I am responsible for how I deal with things now. I am not blaming my parents for my choices and all that other kind of stuff. It's more like I know that I am responsible for being different and like making choices. Like I'm not going to just, you know, be a jerk to someone and be like, well, my dad was mean to me. Like, no. Because <laughs> yeah, you choose how you feel about it and you choose how you act, you know, right upon it as well. Part of the issues that I have with my dad and, you know, the projection part. Yeah. I realize a lot is issues with men mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. mine are a little bit different like you're probably like i don't know and you know i'm just assuming this i mean which, i can clarify yeah <laughs> you can clarify for me um with you you get angry mm-hmm. with me it's almost like i get scared yeah so for me my dad wasn't necessarily abusive in a physical way mm-hmm. uh it was more mentally for me Mm -hmm. um, when he used to drink sometimes you know the yelling and stuff like that but also like not being around and I know like a lot of the stuff whenever I cling to someone because that's what I call it clinging for the most part I am afraid they will let me go yes and I know that's one I'm still dealing with that but that's one of my biggest issues Mm -hmm. in life or like where I project on other people and it doesn't necessarily have to be a partner right it could be um, like my brothers and them a male figure that i care for yeah which i think also changes my mind with the way i bring up my daughter and my sons yeah um it's also part of the projection when it comes to the trauma for sure and like do you feel like that because like we were talking about like how we were loved as kids so like that part of not necessarily having like this like sweet like father-daughter love relationship between the two of you because you know he was more preoccupied with like alcohol or other things mm-hmm. <laughs> like women. that that women but not interested in being like a dad yeah in the way that you needed yeah like sometimes i watch like the wedding videos on Mm. tiktok or on facebook (laughs) and i see you know the sweet moments and these dads expressing themselves about their little girl oh yeah Um, i see the way my sister-in-law's father like loves her Mm -hmm. and i you know my brother just recently got married and it was such a beautiful interaction with her oh, father yeah, I bet. and i'm like 
sitting down like I don't I don't understand that like how does they like they love they love each other so much you know and I'm mm -hmm. crying bawling my eyes out but like it's sad that I didn't have that yeah but it makes me so happy too like to see that and you know that my daughter will have that mm -hmm. um growing up but also at the same time I start thinking about you know how strong I've been Mm -hmm. And how much work I've done. And I don't want to say to replace that, but to work through that. Yeah. Because we, I, I don't remember if it was something we saw on like Instagram or if we saw TikTok about it or something like that. But somebody saying about how it doesn't matter how you try to fill the void mm -hmm. that you have. I think it was on TikTok. But mm -hmm. that it doesn't matter how you try to fill the void. Like the void's going to be there like you have to figure out how to like work around it it's like ease it up a little bit yeah and it's funny that you mentioned weddings because i don't know if told, I've, I've i've probably told you this before i don't remember my dad made me an hour and a half late to my own wedding because i had we were moving to north carolina well i was already living in north carolina but we were moving jointly into our apartment in north carolina the day after our wedding and my dad was having um he had some legit like physical issues like he had a um hip replacement and stuff and so he was not going to be able to do like this like eight hour drive of like driving a moving truck down to North Carolina so I had asked him you know I still would like you to come because I'm moving into my first apartment and I just got married but I'm not going to ask you to drive the truck do you know that's why he made me and he said he wasn't going to come to my wedding because he did, he was pissed that I had we had asked Mike's dad to drive the truck instead of him. So he made me an hour and a half late to do that. So like I this is where that like anger comes back, right? I will kind of like watch a wedding video of someone or like go to someone else's wedding and watch, you know, that like father-daughter interaction. And I kind of roll my eyes because I'm like, eh, must be nice. <laughs> but isn't that interesting how, like, we see yes. it in a different way? Yes. And, then, like, again, it could be because you had it, but it wasn't a good experience. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have it, so I don't know what it's like. Right. So it, was, it wasn't, like, great, but it wasn't also horrible to what it could have been. Right. You know? But I think that, like, that's, like, the toss-up, right, is that when you don't know... It could have been either way. Yeah. And then when you do know that it could have been better, I, and it's not like I'm like holding like my dad in particular to like this like very lofty standard of what I think a dad should be. I didn't, I'm not, I'm not looking for perfection. I don't even look for perfection in myself, but like present, accountable, aware a little bit selfless because I feel like you have to be when you're a parent and I didn't get that I didn't I didn't get that in any capacity and so I know for sure for me that that is something that I need to work on for myself because it it still comes up I don't want I don't want to have like such a visceral reaction to like people getting married like that's happy <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want to necessarily like put my own feelings onto it all the time. And 
with doing the work that I've done, I feel like it is good to be self-aware of it, but you can be self-aware and not do the work that you need to. Like, just because you're aware that you need to do the healing doesn't mean that you're going to actually, like, dig in to it, let it hurt, and then figure out how to grow with it. I won't say past it, but with it, because it's always going to be something that's sad. Like, it sucks that it didn't happen. But, like, you know. I often wonder... You know, now that we're in our 30s, yeah, how it will go as we get older, you know, would it would it get easier? Is it not as easy right now? Because for me, at least, you know, I just started doing the work not long ago. So like I just started figuring out how trauma from, you know, my childhood affects me now. Yeah. And things like that. And, and you know, not to say that still things are not happening to me in life that still traumatize me. Yeah. Which, you know, that's a whole nother topic within itself. Yeah. But I, I often wonder, like, if it would get easier. And, and, you know, sometimes I do sit there and I'm like, you know what? It has. Yeah. It yeah, already yeah. has. The fact yeah. that I'm acknowledging it. Yes. Already is making it a little bit easier. I feel like I'm still reliving those parts. So yeah. that's like the hard part. Yeah. Um, And also the questions that I cannot get answers to. Yes. You know, at least for you, that's probably one of the hardest parts since your parents. In some ways, yeah. You know, are no longer around. For me, it's also like the fear of asking questions. And yeah. Getting... I mean, honestly... I think there was a point, especially, like, because my my mom died seven and a half years ago. And like I said earlier, like, it's been five years since my dad passed away today. So I only had two and a half years in between, you know, when, when my parents had passed. And I feel like I didn't even really get to process the first one. And we'll probably talk about that more in detail in, in another episode. I don't even feel like I got to process the first one before the second one happened. And there was a lot of stuff that went on in between there, too, that was really difficult. And there was a while there where I was like, I am never going to get the answers that I want. Like, nobody's ever going to say, I'm sorry, I love you. Like, how can we make this better? And then I also realized that, like, that wouldn't have necessarily happened had they been here either. So, like, either way, I was grieving. The The grieving part is the hope. Like, that hope is gone that it would be. So, like, if they were still here, I think there would be part of me that would still have hope as, like, a daughter and an empathetic person and a person who wants authentic connection, there would have still been hope to be like... For closure. For closure and uh, like at least like feeling some kind of peace about how things were. So, I mean, I would say like even if you feel like you want answers to questions, you still might not really get the answers that you're that you're looking for. You know, I agree because I feel like I have asked and it's so uncomfortable. Yes. And I think that's one of the main things. So it's like we almost have to look within that closure with like for that closure within ourselves. Absolutely. Like yes. we have to do our own work and we have to come to terms that 
we have to do the work. Like, we have to make it happen in a way. Yeah. Or, you know what I mean? Just make it easier for ourselves. There's, like, to relate back to, one, this topic, and two, the, what I was saying earlier about that, like, void. At this point, with, like, us being in our 30s, you know, we have partners in our life. We have children in our life. It's our job now to, like love our inner child like they needed to be loved and to like give them space it's not really like there's not much more that our parents can do at this point depending on how you know self-aware other people were to like become so like I think it really does fall down to like our responsibility like you said to like do our own work do our own healing and and have support in that mm-hmm. like have good support in that which we will talk about next time too that like it's our responsibility to to love ourselves in the way that one we weren't taught to love ourselves and two the love that we deserved to have as yes. kids because we definitely do for sure um we are about out of time for today's recording because I have to go pick up my son (laughs) from school. But we are going to continue this topic next time for episode three. That's right. (laughs) Episode three. Uh, So thank you guys so much for being here again and listening. And uh, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Comforting the Chaos. And we also have a Facebook group that has some really lovely discussions that go um, on inside of it which I'm I'm very excited about all the time I really love when I see everybody interacting in there it makes me really happy I'm getting teary-eyed while I'm talking about it now <laughs> that's how much it means to me so the more you interact in there like please know that I love it which is also entitled comforting the chaos it's a private group so that way like your whole like news feed can't see everything that everybody's posting but if you just request to join Paula or I will will get on there and let you in to to see what's going on, discuss more about the episode, see what's happening, that sort of thing. So, yeah. For sure. Come join us. We thank you again for listening. Until next time. Thank you.